So either way, we appreciate it. Amen. Genesis 29, while the young people are being dismissed this morning, Genesis chapter 29, I want to talk to you today about something that could involve you, and you might not even maybe have realized it, but through the Word of God, I think we can see uh, a great danger in our lives this morning. Genesis chapter 29. I want to begin with a question. Have you ever felt unwanted, undesired? unloved. I've had the misfortune of talking to children whose parents did not want them. I remember a young man in tears telling me one time that his, uh, he said, my dad tells me all the time that if I hadn't been born, the things he could have. New cars, better house. Can you imagine telling a child that? Our, uh, I've talked to wives whose husbands walked out, didn't want them anymore. In my own family, we uh, extended family, we've experienced a situation where after years of marriage, I'm leaving you for someone else. Don't want you anymore. What a terrible thing to go through life unwanted, tossed aside like so much trash. Today, you'll meet such a person in the Bible And it's one of the saddest stories in the Old Testament, yet it has one of the greatest truths attached to it. And I'm excited to bring that to you today. Man's heart, like nature, abhors a vacuum. uh, Or is, uh, it'll fill it with whatever that it needs to. Something or someone will fill man's life. What I want to learn and drive home today is at the end, it is all emptiness, all vanity unless the Lord is the one who fills it. I want you to consider along with me Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes, all he ever wanted in life was more. He wanted more money, so he took a small inheritance that he had and he built it into the point of where he was a billionaire. He wanted more fame, so he broke into the Hollywood scene and became a filmmaker and a star. He wanted more thrills, so he he designed and he built and piloted the fastest aircraft in the world. He wanted more power. So secretly, he started to do political favors uh, to the point that finally there were two U.S. presidents who were basically his pawns. All he ever wanted was more. He was absolutely certain that if he accumulated more, it would bring him satisfaction. Unfortunately, history shows us otherwise because at the end of his life, he was emaciated. He was colorless. He had fingernails, uh, long inches long fingernails. Uh, he had rotting black teeth. He had tumors all over his body. His, his body was pockmarked with uh, needle marks from being a drug addict. Howard Hughes died believing the myth of more. He died a billionaire junkie. By all reports, insane. We've got to come to the point in our life that we realize more will not satisfy. Now, most of us have heard this over and over and we've accepted that, but I also want to take it just a step further today. There is no one in your life that will ever satisfy like Jesus Christ. I want to preach to you today on relational idolatry. Relational idolatry. Read along with me. Genesis chapter 29, verse 15. The Bible says, And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother... Shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Brother being relative, essentially. 
Tell me what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Verse 17, Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and it seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me thy wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah. Uh, if you haven't been keeping up, wrong girl. Okay? He took Leah and his daughter and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. Laban gave unto his daughter Leah, gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah his maid for an handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah, and he said unto Laban, What is this thou hast done unto me? Did I not serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? Father, I pray you'd help us today as we look at this story, apply it to our life, and find ourselves in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I got to give you a little background here. Uh, God had come to Abraham, told him to get out of his home country, and that he would redeem the world through his descendants. One child was chosen out of every generation to carry the line, the lineage of Christ to the next generation, and this was a very important thing for all uh, for, for Abraham's family and all his descendants. I mean, everybody wanted to be in the lineage of the coming Messiah until one day Messiah would be born. Each family, one child, the, the lineage would pass through him. Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. Obviously, the lineage passed through his, his son, Isaac. He was second in line. And then Isaac married Rebekah. They found they were re expecting twins. And God said that the chosen one to carry the lineage of Christ would not be the firstborn, which would be the usual. It would actually be the younger, which was then Jacob instead of Esau. And despite that, uh, we know the story, Isaac favored his older son. He liked Esau better because Esau was a man's man. Esau was a hunter. He played football. He did all manly things, amen? And so Isaac preferred Esau. Uh, because of his favoritism, Esau grew up proud, spoiled, willful, and impulsive. Jacob grew up cynical and bitter. When the time came to give the blessing... Isaac's plan was to defy God and give Esau the blessing anyway. And you know the story his mother heard and she got Jacob involved in his scheme and he put goat's hair on his arm and they tricked Isaac who was uh, almost blind and couldn't see anymore. They tricked him into giving the blessing to Jacob. Now, Jacob had to flee from his brother Esau for his very life and so he went to the wilderness. His life was now a mess. He's a fugitive. He'll never see mom and dad again. And this brings us to our text. Because he decided to go to a relative's house, he escaped to his mother's family, and they took him in. Laban was his name. Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah, and the younger daughter was named Rachel. Uh, Rachel means ew, not ew as in gross, but ew as in a lamb, E-W-E. Uh, and and uh, then Leah means cow or wearied. Nice of them, isn't it? Have you, and, uh, we've heard uh, people say before that all babies are beautiful. 
They're not. All right, let's just be honest. All right, we're in church, we can be honest. They're not all beautiful. I mean, all mine were beautiful, you understand, but not all babies are beautiful. And uh, it's like when Rachel was born, they took a look. Oh, she's gorgeous, like a sweet, innocent little lamb, Rachel. When Leah was born, duh, what is that thing? It looks like our old milk cow, Leah, cow. The Bible only tells us one detail about her. It says she was tender-eyed. Literally, that means weak-eyed. Uh, now, some may think that she had bad eyesight, but the Bible does not say that Leah had weak eyes and, Leah and Rachel had good eyes. It says she was weak-eyed versus beautiful. Now, it probably meant she was cross-eyed or more likely it meant that it was just literally she was hard to look at. Uh, the... Bible specifically, especially in the Old Testament original language of the Hebrew, it places emphasis on Rachel's beauty and her great figure. I'll give you the exact original. I took the Hebrew words, I stretched them out, and I gave the, put the meanings in order. I'm going to read it to you. Uh, Leah, it says of her, she was tender, delicate of flesh, weak of heart, hard to the eye. Rachel, fair, beautiful, shapely form, beautiful appearance. We get in the picture here. One was pretty, one was not. So Jacob stays with them for a month. Now Jacob is too good to hang around a house just leeching off of them, so he gets involved. He starts making himself useful around the place. And after he had been there a month, uh, Laban understands that he's, this is a resource he can have, and so uh, he decides to put him on the payroll, give him a job. And he offers him essentially a manager's job. And in verse 15, he essentially says, just because you're family doesn't mean that you'll work for free. Laban was not a yoder, I can assure you, because all of my ancestors would have been more than willing to let me work for free. Amen. But he says, what can I give you? You see, Uncle Laban had been doing some figuring, and so had Jacob. A month in Laban's home, he had fallen deeply in love with Rachel. Leah may have been nice enough, but it was Rachel who appealed to him. And when he hears, what can I pay you, Jacob? Jacob, after all, is a man. Men are really shallow creatures. Amen. Ladies, you can say amen sometimes too. That's all right. And as uh, he is a shallow creature, he takes one look at these two sisters and he has a one-word answer, Rachel. That's what he wants. Laban's response is not what you really want to hear from your father-in-law. He says, I guess if I have to give her to someone, you're not any worse than anybody else. It's, I mean, it's essentially what he says in the scripture here. And, but Jacob wanted to hear a yes, and so he heard a yes. He was smitten with her. If you look at the text, you'll see all kinds of signals here to show how lovesick he was. He offered seven years for Rachel's hand, much more than normally would be offered. Usually the bride or the father of the bride to be would set a price in, in this custom would set a price so that he would have a, uh, something to compensate for his raising her. The hopeful bridegroom would have to pay the father of the bride if he wanted to marry her. I like this rule, amen? This is a great custom, Brother Larry, isn't it? I mean, we could get behind this. Nobody cooperates, though. I tried to put this in place. Nobody cooperates with me. But if a bridegroom did not have 
the means to give a dowry for her, then he could offer some kind of service. It was not an uncommon thing. We see it in, in, uh, in uh, 1 Samuel 17 where Saul offered his daughter to anybody who would kill Goliath. There was a service offered, and then he would have uh, the marriage to his daughter. So the bargain was struck. Jacob spent uh, seven years in verse 20 for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days because he had fallen in love. Amen. Served after the seven years were up, he demands his wife. True to his word, Laban gives orders for the wedding. Jacob had to agree to marry Rachel according to the customs of the land. Jacob might have said something like this, or Laban might have said something like this to Jacob. You understand, of course, you'll be unable to see your bride before the wedding is actually over. She's going to be heavily veiled. This is our custom. Right after the ceremony, the bride will retire to your quarters, still heavily veiled, and you'll join her when the guests leave. And so it was arranged. The marriage took place. At the wedding feast, Laban brought his daughter to Jacob, heavily veiled. Jacob did retire to his quarters. He consummated his marriage. The next morning, he woke up to the wrong girl. Now, just imagine how that would be a shock. The unattractive older sister of Rachel. In Laban, Jacob had finally met someone just as tricky and deceitful as he was. Proverbs 13.15 says the way of the transgressor is hard. Now imagine that family meeting. He gathers them all up. Everybody get together. Now you have to, we want to kind of get into the mindset of Leah today. But you have to imagine how she feels in this. She's standing over there. Here's Rachel. Jacob's pacing the room. He's angry. I can't believe you do this to me, Uncle Laban. I didn't want her. I wanted her. They're having this conversation. It's almost as if Laban slapped Jacob in the face with his own sin. Remember what Jacob, Jacob had done is he had stolen the birthright from Esau. And as, as he as much as said in verse 26, Laban did, we respect the rights of the firstborn here. <laughs> it's a, there's some poetic justice in God's dealings with man. But in verse 27, this low-down snake, Laban, he seems to value Jacob's service as a herdsman more than his own daughters. He refers to the cause, well, he had to give the firstborn away first, but if you want to work another seven years, unbelievable, this guy. Now he's working 14 years. What a conniver he is. Jacob has met his match. And now he knows what it's like to feel tricked. Bible says in Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The devastation of relational idolatry. Idolatry is the universal human tendency for us to value something or someone in a way that hinders our love and trust in a holy God. Love. Dearest, this is a letter written to a young man. Dearest Tommy, no words could express the sadness I have felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. Please forgive me. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning the state lottery. We're all born with a deep and aching need to be loved. 
we're also born sinful, which makes us unlovable in many ways. And so we have a desire to be loved, but we're also profoundly unattractive because of our sin. Now, psychologists tell us, don't miss this here, I'm setting up a a picture of the story that's going on here, but psychologists tell us that our identity is based on what we think the most important person in our life thinks about us. So, if the most important person in your life accepts you and loves you, then you see yourself as acceptable. Uh, if If we perceive that the most important person in our life rejects us, then we feel unwanted. It fills us with pain and with anxiety. Now, this can take us down several paths. We can now live with the constant feeling of rejection, feeling unwanted, or we can become bitter and angry. In its truest form, this is relational idolatry. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Relational idolatry is when you put somebody in front of you uh, and put them in the, uh, the place of your supreme value where God should be. Uh, idolatry of any type is when we put anything in that place before God. In this story, we see two people who did just that. Jacob's behavior is that of an idolater. Uh, Rachel was not just his wife, she was his savior. He wanted her and needed her so profoundly, so much so that he heard and saw only what he wanted to hear and see. He was completely blind to Laban's deception. And in the years that follow, if you read on through the story, you see that there was many years of misery. He favored Rachel and the children for years to come. He literally worshipped the ground that she walked on. And this, by the way, can be very destructive. When we put people as the sole beneficiary of our love and support and all of our value is wrapped up in a person, then they can destroy us in their own human failure. Putting God first means loving God first above all, above everything and everyone that we are and have. Luke chapter 10 verse 27, and he answered, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. God has given us every good thing that we have. He's made us every good thing that we are. And our focus ought to never be on the gift instead of on the giver. Amen. This is idolatry. And it's easy to see how it happens because we are selfish creatures. We like to control our life. It's easy for us to control the gifts rather than the giver. And so we grab a hold of the gifts, what God has given us. We feel like we've got more control there. And we hold on to that. And we try to manipulate it. And uh, it's also easier to claim as mine. And we take credit for it. Here's the human tragedy that idolatry is rebellion against God that we need. We need God. We learn the hard way that we cannot provide ourselves with security and fulfillment. Never, ever, ever can we do that with anything but God. That was Jacob. The greater tragedy here is Leah. Leah, remember, is particularly unattractive. And I'm not trying to be mean here. My heart breaks for this woman, as you'll see in a minute. But I'm just giving you what the Bible says here. She was an unattractive person. She had to live her whole life in the shadow of her perfect sister. Have you, anybody here have a perfect sibling? Why can't you be more like your brother or your sister growing up? Well, that's what she had. 
As a result, Laban, as the father, knew no man's going to offer money for Rachel. And so, probably for years, he's trying to figure out how to get rid of her. Now, Rachel would bring a great price. Rachel would snag a real winner. She's going to improve my name and bring me honor, but not Leah. It's going to be hard to get rid of her. Leah was unwanted. And one thing I have learned about unwanted people is they know it. People that are unwanted know when they're unwanted. Know when they're unloved. How she must have grieved. How many times she stand in front of the mirror crying. Why can't I be beautiful like my sister? Then Jacob enters the scene. Laban seizes this opportunity. Can you imagine what this would have meant for Leah? Given away as a trick? I mean, can you blame her for being insecure? You'd be insecure too if the only way for you to get married is to put a bag over your head. That's essentially how she got married. Can you imagine the humiliation of going into the marriage bed with a man that you know wants somebody else? It's dehumanizing. It was devastating to her. The daughter that her father did not want is now the wife that her husband does not want. She's unwanted, undesired. Jacob loved Rachel, but not Leah. Left a hollow in her heart, every bit as big as the hollow Jacob had. She, had did, she did to Jacob put him in that ultimate place, what Jacob had done to Rachel. She did to Jacob what Rebekah had done to Jacob and what Isaac had done to Esau. Each one of these messed up in putting somebody in front of God that they made a person, their premium uh, hopes, dreams, everything was invested in this person rather than in God. She had set her heart's hope on getting Jacob's love. She became a victim of relational idolatry. Let me show you this in the Bible. When the Lord said that Leah was not loved, or saw, the Lord saw that Leah wasn't loved, this is God's mercy. By the way, listen, if you're unwanted today, God cares for you. He notices. So he saw that Leah was unloved and Rachel was loved, and so what God did is he opened the womb of Leah. The Bible says she gave birth to his son. <coughs> she called him Reuben. And uh, to bear a son was a, a great honorable thing. It was a great gift to the husband to bear a son. Look at this devastating verse in verse 32. We're still in Genesis 29. <clears throat> verse 32, And Leah conceived and bare a son. She called his name Reuben. For she, for she said, Surely the Lord had looked upon my affliction. Oh, now listen to these words. This is devastating. Now therefore my husband will love me. Now again, I don't like to make the Bible about emotions. But this is sad stuff. Because maybe you've been there. Maybe now my husband will love me because of what I've done. Oh, the misery she must have been in. The misery, by the way, of relational idolatry. It'll always bring misery, heartache, pain. Well, that didn't work. Her husband didn't love her. And so the Bible says she gave birth to another son. She named this son Simeon. The name Simeon means heard. And she says why in verse 33? Because the Lord has heard that I was hated. Your heart just breaks for her. Can you see the desperation in her life? She's unwanted. She's desperate to be wanted. It happened again. She gave birth to yet another son. 
This one she called Levi. This were, uh, Le- the name Levi means joined to. In verse number 34, she said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Every time, maybe now he will love me. Maybe now he will notice me. Maybe now he'll be a husband to me. Didn't happen. What Rachel was trying to do is to have her happiness and fulfillment in her family. In other words, in her way. Now, that way might be different for you, but you probably, and I have tried to do the same in our lives too. We want to get our fulfillment in our way. Putting the things that we love in the place of God. It was not working. She had set all her hopes and dreams in her husband. If I have sons, then my husband will love me. Then my life will have meaning. But instead, every birth just drove her further and further down. She lived every day. Now imagine this life. She lived every day seeing the one she longed for in the arms of the one whose shadow she had lived all her life. I mean, this is a terrible situation to be in. Un. Wanted, completely and utterly unwanted. Every day was a knife in her heart. And by the way, this is a condition that's common to man. Through all of life, there runs a common denominator of cosmic disappointment. You will not lead a fulfilled life until you recognize that. Jacob, we see, uh, he basically said, if I just get to be with Rachel, then everything will be fine. Everything will be okay. We probably all have something like that that we think. If just that happened, then everything would be fine. He goes to bed, thinks it's Rachel, wakes up with Leah. Can I tell you, friend, that it's always like that. Whatever you put your hopes in, your dreams in, whatever you put in your perceived happiness, whatever your Rachel is in the evening, it'll be Leah in the morning. Without the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, the things in the world, the the people that you've put in His place will never satisfy, will never bring you fulfillment. C.S. Lewis said, most people, if they really look into their hearts, they would know that what they want acutely is something that cannot be had in this world. Oh, there's all sorts of things the world can offer to you, but there's nothing that will live up to its promise. No one can take the place of God. Putting all the weight of your deepest hopes and longings on a person is a waste of time. Now, when you finally realize this, you can do one of four things. So if you're here today and maybe you've even recognized, you know, this is kind of true in my life. I have put this person in place of God. You can do one of four things. Number one, you can blame the things that are disappointing you and move on to better ones. That's what the world does. Ah, I mean, everything's wrapped up in this house. And then soon that house is not satisfactory. We've got to go to another one and a car and a phone and just on and on and on. You know how it goes. And so... You can blame the things that are disappointing you and and it's a constant loop of disappointment because we recognize nothing on earth will satisfy that longing. Number two, you can blame yourself and beat yourself up. I'm a failure. Everyone else is happy and I'm not. There's got to be something wrong with me. Well, this is just the way of self-loathing and shame. Number three, you can blame the world. I'm done with it. Forget everything and everyone. This is how you get hard and cynical and empty. Number four, you can do what Leah did. Because Leah had a breakthrough. 
Leah is the only one in this story who really finally seems to get it. Uh, it. It happens at the very end. After years of sorrow, there's a breakthrough in her heart. I want to show you this verse. Look at verse number 35. The Bible says she had a fourth son. And it says, verse 35, And she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. That's a little bit of a difference in what she was saying before, isn't it? Now she doesn't mention her husband at all. Before this, she had been obsessed with his approval. He doesn't even mention here now. Now she's taken her heart's deepest longings and hopes off of her husband and put them on the Lord. Jacob and Laban had stolen Leah's life. But when she finally gave her heart to the Lord, she got it back. She finally stopped using the things she had been given, listen to me, and tried to use those things to manipulate happiness into her life. She'd stopped doing that. Because it's impossible to do anyway. You can't bring fulfillment into your life by manipulation. And uh, she just praised the Lord. Now I'm just going to praise the Lord. See, now God did a work in her, it's obvious, but he also did something really wonderful for her. I don't want you to miss this. This is so good because there's something special about this child, Judah. The Bible tells us later in Genesis chapter 49, you remember the beginning of the message we were talking about, how vitally important it was for the, 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 the messianic line and what an honor it was for the person who could carry on the line, the lineage to the Lord Jesus Christ when the Messiah would be born. And so, uh, this was so important. Guess who the mother was in this generation who would carry on the Messianic line? It weren't the pretty one. It wasn't the popular one. It wasn't the one everybody loved and everyone they wanted a piece of. The child was Judah, and the mother was Leah. Whoo, that's good. In Genesis 49, we're told that it was through him the Messiah would come. God had come to the girl that nobody wanted. He had come to the girl that nobody loved and everybody just pawned off and he made her the ancestral mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. God spoke loud and clear. Hey, your father might have pawned you off. Your husband might not love you. The world may not want you. But there is a God in heaven. He notices the neglected. He receives the rejected. He satisfies the sorrowful. He brings delight to the despondent. He wants the unwanted. Praise the Lord. When no one else can or will love you, God can and God will. The Bible says in 1 John 4.16, And we have known and believed the love that God hath given to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. We all want love. He has got more than we ever need. He loved you so much, dear friend, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should never perish, but have everlasting life. That's how much he loved you. If he had to give an object lesson of his love, if you asked Jesus Christ, how much do you love me? He stretched out his arms on an old rugged cross and died for your sin. He loves you. Why? Why would we put our hopes and dreams and happiness and fulfillment in something less than that? Leah moved from now my husband will love me to now I will praise the Lord. 
The Bible says in Psalm 18 too, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, a buckler, my, the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Listen, friend, nothing else. No one else can ever take the place of the Lord in your life. The sooner we recognize that, uh, the sooner and the better it is for us. God proves His love by sending us Jesus to die for us. He loves you. And guess what? He wants you. You may feel unwanted. There might be times that you sit at your house and you think, nobody in the world would even care if I die. One would. He would. Oh, Leah. I read this story and I mean, it almost brings you to tears. This poor girl, just because just of how she looked, just because of her situation, and she's unwanted all of her life. But she came to the point in her life that said, you know what, nobody may want me, but God wants me. And then God made her the, put her in the line to the Messiah. Isn't that a wonderful thing? What a blessing. The unconditional love that God offers is the only satisfying love you'll ever know. Listen, I'm, I, I love my wife. My, love, my wife loves me most of the time. Amen? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We love one another. We are, that's a great blessing to have that love with one another. I love our church family, and our church family loves me. And, and that's great. There's no, I mean, I'm glad that we can rejoice in that. But here's the problem, that if you and I spend enough time together, I hate to tell you, but I'm going to fail you. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to say something wrong. I'm going to do something wrong. And I don't want you to put your hopes and your dreams and your desires and your fulfillment in your pastor. That would be disastrous. You better put it in the Lord. You've got to put it in the Lord. If you put it in, the person, in, in a person, it'll always always be a disappointment. This unconditional love of God makes idols pointless and even repulsive. We don't want to have anything in the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the antidote to a relational idolatry? What do I do? Well, the antidote to a relational idolatry is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the antidote right there. How's your relationship with Him? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior? Do you know that you know that you know that if something happened today, you'd be in heaven? If you don't know that, the Bible says you can know. We can take the Bible today and show you how you can know. And once you've made that decision of accepting Christ as your Savior, are you walking with Him on a daily basis? Are you in His Word? Are you praying? Are you faithful to the house of God? Do you have a relationship with God? Oh, it's so important. Leah finally got it. She finally realized there's nothing. Here, here's a frustrating thing. If you're unwanted or you're unloved, there is nothing Leah could have done to make Jacob love her. Nothing. She tried everything. She couldn't get it. She could not. But then she finally recognized one who did. That's what we have to do. Father, thank you for this great passage of Scripture. Our heart hurts for Leah's position.